Hello, community. It's podcast time again. Episode 56. Can you believe it? Well, 2021 is in full swing. We're almost 12th of the way through this year. (laughs) Hard to believe. All right, way to go. You've made it this far. You know what? The world is full of uncertainties, many of which we don't have control over, you know, like COVID-19 or maybe getting graphics from your pastor on time. And I was talking to the manager of a local store I frequent, and he asked me if I had made any resolutions in 2021. And to be honest, I haven't formally written anything down, but I had an answer for him pretty quickly. And my answer was that I was going to focus on the things I could control instead of obsessing about what isn't in my control. 2020 taught me and many of us that life is full of uncertainties and we can only actually control a few things. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl talks about this a bunch and it comes from a way deeper place than my own particular COVID situation. But he says, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we're challenged to change ourselves. And for many of us, we aren't in control of how our country or state is going to handle COVID in 2021, but we can take what is in your control and you can knock it out of the park. So let's go. Let's get the other 11 twelfths of this year right. And if you've never read Man's Search for Meaning, you really should. This book, it really impacted me and changed my thinking of how to be a technical artist in the local church. And while Viktor Frankl was a victim of a concentration camp, and I'm just complaining about the troubles of my life at church, there's a lot to be learned about how to respond to life. So let's let 2021 be characterized by this new kind of thinking. Anyway, there's a lot that we can't be certain of, but there's one thing you can count on that the Philo podcast, it's coming out every three weeks with great guests talking about interesting things that pertain to those of us who do production work in the local church. And if you're new to our podcast, our goal really is to help technical artists in the local church to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. And we do that through not only the podcast, but the Philo conference, Philo coaching, the, all of our resources, Philo staffing. Speaking of Philo resources and the goal of helping technical artists to become more effective, you know, the Philo book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas, has been helping production teams around the world, which is mind-blowing to me. And I heard from a team uh, at a church in Florida, and they were going through it together. Here's what their team leader told me, and this is, I quote, we started a chapter or two per week, and the discussions were deep and timely. The book felt like it was written specifically for us. It helped us manage and lead our techs at campuses of a few hundred and campuses of several thousand. The book gave us vocabulary and renewed vision. It also reminded us that we're not alone and we serve a big God with passionate technical artists around the world. Hands down, the most relevant and practical book available for technical artists of all backgrounds. Now, some of that makes me a little uncomfortable as the writer of the book. You know, that's a little too much praise for a tech person to handle all at once. But there's a couple of things that I really love about this. One is the idea of technical artists gathering together to learn and grow and getting on the same page. It's one of my most favorite things in life when a team is thinking and acting like they're one person. You know, talking about values that matter on your team, it'll only make the individuals on your team better, which also makes the whole team better which also makes your church better. And the other thing I love about this book is that it really hits all three of our Philo values, which is skill development, community, and inspiration. And speaking of that, the book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas, is the basis for our Philo coaching cohorts that we started up in late 2020. 
And we're in our second round and having an amazing time talking and connecting as technical artists in the local church. We'd love to have you sign up on the waiting list for the next cohort, or maybe even take your own team through the book to help you all become more effective. You can check out on our website, philo.org, for details on the next cohort and also how to order books in bulk for your team if you want to work through it together. Okay, on today's podcast, we dig into something super helpful, information about copyright and live streaming with my good friend Dave Dolphin. Some of you might know him as the host of the Practical Worship podcast and the YouTube channel, but he's a worship leader at a church in Oklahoma City, and he also does a bunch of other stuff. He is as first in and as last out as the rest of us since he's handling a lot of the technology side of things on weekends as well. And we had a great chat. One item to note, Dave offers some great advice about streaming on YouTube from his own experience, but he isn't a lawyer, so nothing he says would be uh, considered to be legal advice on how to go about streaming on YouTube. So before you decide to do anything online, based on what you hear in the podcast today, make sure you consult someone who can actually advise you legally. All right, let's dive in. Dave, how's it going? Man, it's good to be here. Long time listener, first time caller. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking earlier uh, before we hit record. It's like, it seems like we've done a lot of things like this, but never on as the Philo podcast. So uh, yeah, we've done a lot of Zoom color. meetings where I've, I, you're on my screen. And yeah, we've done this back and forth. We've actually met in person a little bit, but mostly this is what we do. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, and yeah, so we were t- also talking about just kind of where we first met. And I think the first time we met was on Skype or Zoom or some thing like this. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I just said, Hey, if you want to come and do your, your YouTube channel, which we'll get to in a second, uh, at the Philo conference in 2019, I think that's the, actually the first time we met. Yeah. I think in person, which was, was was pretty cool. I, I, I think I reached out to you right before that and said, Hey, would you be a guest on my podcast? And even before you had the book, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, how do you pull off large events like Christmas and Easter without just completely <laughs> draining yourself and just being miserable in the process? Did I have an answer? You, that, that wasn't I, like, it's impossible? You did, <laughs> you did which was kind of cool. When I was like reading the book, I was like, hey, I remember, like we talked about this. Yeah, this is a thing, funny. like care about people and relationships and, you know, people over product. And this is this is good stuff. So yeah, it was kind of cool to be out at uh, at Willow. And, and yeah, because the cool thing about Philo is there's so many great people running around. And so you could just grab someone and say, hey, meet me over here and let's talk about this. Let's yeah, talk yeah. about music directing. Let's talk about video. Let's talk about running audio. Like there's so many great people. I got like eight or nine videos out of just that um, that one, you know, that two-day conference. It was fantastic. Yeah, that's, you know what, one of the great parts about meeting in person at an event like that is just that chance to rub shoulders with so many interesting people from all over the place. And I even remember like the first time that I actually knew that Todd Elliott existed <laughs> was uh, many, many, many moons ago. I was listening to the the Church Tech Weekly podcast, which yeah. you know was something that I would listen to. And I I think I was getting ready for rehearsal, whatever. And, and when I would do that, I'd put a podcast on and here comes this guy named Todd Elliott. And he used to be at Willow, but now he's doing this thing called Philo. And it's like, what does that even mean? And and we're going to do this conference where it like went from like city to city to city. And we're going right. to do this one day thing just for pouring into the people that do production in church. And I was like, 
well, that seems like a really cool idea. There doesn't seem to be a lot for that. Like, you know, maybe this worship leader conference would have this little sub thing for like, oh, by the way, if you do right. production, here's a class for you. But like to have something specifically to pour into production people, I was like, that's a really kind of cool idea. So, and that went years ago. Yeah, 2015. So yeah, coming up on, yeah, I just entered the seventh year of my life having left Willow and trying Does to file feel a weird? Thing. Does that feel weird that Very it's like this, that you've been doing this for that long? Yeah, I mean, I think when I when I look at my life, it's sort of up until uh, I left Willow divided into like 11-year increments. So like I graduated from college, had a job for 11 years at a church, and then moved to Willow, had a job there for 11 years. And to know that I'm this, you know, seven years feels like such a huge uh, number to be doing something different. In some ways, it feels like forever. And in other ways, like, really? It probably feels like you just did it yesterday. Right. Uh, and then I look at like Facebook memories that show up. So I've been seeing a lot of memories from the Chris, my last Christmas, which was seven years ago. And uh, yeah, it doesn't seem that long ago, but yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> and here you are now. Here I am now. I've made it, mom. You can be <laughs> proud. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's talk about you now for a second. Enough about me. <laughs> it's always about the worship pastor, Todd. It's always right. about the yeah. worship pastor. <laughs> let's talk about who you are, what do you do, and maybe the the story of how you started, how you got into this, and you know, got to today. Yeah. So I became a Christian when I was a senior in high school, and then you know, when I got into college. I felt like God had given me uh, Colossians 3, 16, and 17, which kind of talks about, um, you know, you know, edifying others and, and bringing glory to God through uh, specifically like the Psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs. And, okay. and whatever you do in word or deed, uh, you know, do so, for, you know, for, for the Lord. And so I, I felt like in college, like God had given me that verse to say, okay, whatever you do in life, you're going to do this um, to, to bring glory and to edify people. And you're going to do it through music. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I got out of college and I got a job at a radio station. I worked for a few radio Radio stations, one being a Christian station, kind of like a Christian CHR. Uh, back before that was even like a thing, we were playing like Audio Adrenaline and DC Talk before it was cool. And <laughs> and, and then I worked for like a, like a mainstream hot AC station. Like you know, if you have a, a station in town that's called Mix, then that was right. the kind of station I worked <laughs> yeah. at. And so you know, I did can that I for a little bit. You really quick. Uh, this is reminding me. I worked uh, as a DJ for a semester in college. Yeah. And it's uh, the only reason I interrupt you because it was weird in that I, it was in a mobile home, the the radio oh, yeah. station, and the the transmitter was like in the closet. I don't even remember who listened, but um, yeah, it was like. Oh, radio totally station. Janky. Yeah. Oh, and, and okay, so okay. I worked the Christian station I worked at. It was KOKF, which is um, was kind of one of the pioneers of the, this Christian CHR format. Okay. And and we would have like really large acts that would come through, and uh, because there just wasn't anything like that. It wasn't adult contemporary. It was like it was like rap music and dynamic okay. twins and all that kind of stuff. And so, but we broadcasted out of this barn. Like it was one of those sheds you would put in your backyard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that they had converted into like a two-story, like it did not deserve to be a two-story barn yeah. <laughs> uh, or two-story building. And it was just, you would come in, you're like, this is it? This 100,000-watt radio station, this is it? Yeah. 
when you listen, it sounds like way more impressive than. Oh yeah, yeah. I and mean, then when you see it, like someone will like go come by to pick up their prize, like their free T-shirt, and they're like looking around, like, I think this is cool, but <laughs> this is not what I expected. Yeah. So one, just one quick story. The I had a, a friend of mine who's actually now my sister-in-law. She and I were DJing together, and uh, we decided we were going to do a contest. So like the the tenth caller to answer this question right, you know, wins a I don't know a CD or a you know, a poster. I don't, it doesn't yeah. matter what the winning was, but so we put it out there and then played a song and the phone doesn't ring. So we wait a little while longer phones, not ringing. And I'm thinking my roommates aren't like, why aren't my roommates calling? Okay, whatever. So the, then we're like, okay, anybody who calls, you don't have to answer a question. <laughs> just call somebody, please call. You know, I finally said, I'm calling my roommate. So this is before cell phones. So I pick up the phone, you know, with the landline and right. there's no dial tone. The phone was unplugged. <laughs> and so we were getting all these calls, but we didn't know. So I plug it in. It's ringing. And I'm like, hey, you, you win. You're <laughs> I'm an idiot. Caller number, what did I want? <laughs> 10. You're, here's your T-shirt. Yeah, I'm a loser. Anyway, okay. <gasps> but I, so I did radio. I did that for a little <laughs> bit. And then, I, and then I worked for a book publisher. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I was the director of production for this book publisher. I was in charge of editors and graphic designers and, and video people and all that kind of stuff. And along the way, I was like, okay, did I, did I like, was I just an overzealous Christian that was like, you know, I read something. I was like, that's what I want. And so that now applies to me. Like, you know, I I was like, maybe I just missed that. Um, but I always enjoyed doing, you know, uh, ministry and music and I would travel with people and I, obviously I played in the band, the band at church, in our local church and kind of got to a point there towards the end where, um, the, the, the main guy would, would let me leave. He would like need to take on vacation or he would, you know, go hang out with his family or go on a, you know, to Mexico for a mission trip or whatever. And he'd say, okay, Dave, I'm going to put you in charge. And he, like, he would, he would hand it off. Like I got to pick okay. the songs and I worked with the band and I did all the things and he would do that like 10 or 15 Sundays out of the year, which is wow. a lot, I think. And yeah. so at some moment I had to decide like, okay, is this a hobby? Is this something I enjoy doing or is this a calling? And so mm-hmm. went through the process of that. I was like, okay, this is a calling. And then it wasn't until like the last, I don't know, seven or eight years where I've actually been on staff at a church. And meanwhile, because I had this passion and I, 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 I love to teach. I love to take the experiences and the knowledge that that has been given to me and share that with other people. And so, if you, there could be three people in the room. You put me in front of an owl, and I'll, I will talk their ear off. You know, whether they want it or not. I just call it a spiritual gift. I don't know. I just enjoy doing that. And so, there was a moment where you know, many moons ago, my kids were a lot younger. You know, back in the days when my kids would go to bed at like eight o'clock. Now they're teenagers. And yeah. I feel like they wake up at eight o'clock. Um, <laughs> I'm usually saying, uh, I'm going to bed now. So turn the lights off. Yes, when you come that's up. a yeah. thing now. It's like <laughs> yeah. you tuck us in and right. <laughs> um, turn your phone in and don't go, yeah, don't go crazy. And then like at 10 o'clock in the morning, you're like, okay, it's time to get up. Like you can't do this. <laughs> yeah. So my kids would go to bed at eight o'clock and my wife worked nights. And so she would be at work and my kids are in bed and I'm like, okay, well, hmm, what do I do? Um, well, what if I made a YouTube video about how I'm using tracks and how I'm using Ableton Live in in uh, in, in church, which was kind of you know a new thing at right. the time. And so I would make these videos and I would post it. First video I put on YouTube was 2012, and I was like, well, that was kind of cool. 
And, um, and so off and on, I would kind of start doing this where I would put these videos where, uh, you know, I felt like there was a lot in the world in terms of like the spiritual side of like why we lead worship and things to be mindful of. But we had just turned this corner in 2000 of, you know, modern worship bands and drums and guitars. And it's like, okay, this is a whole new way of doing church and running tracks. And there's a lot of technology involved. And, and I've, I saw a lot of worship pastors are like, I don't know how to do this. So right. I was like, well, I've had to figure it out. Let me make a video about that. Let me show you how I set up planning center. Let me show you how our keys rig is set up. And so I'd make these YouTube videos. And um, it's been kind of a thing where uh, I love being able to, to pour into other worship pastors and other worship ministries and have fingerprints on that. When I'm just like, let me, let me show you how to work with your band and deal with maybe the drama between team members or, um, you know, hey, how do you help get your drummer, um, uh, you know, on the click? You know, that's a new thing. And so yeah. I've just been doing that, you know, off and on, you know, for the last several years and being a YouTuber and trying to like, how can I help? invest in other worship pastors, like specifically those that are at maybe smaller churches where they have to do it all. They got the position because they can sing and play guitar, but they've never led a band before. <laughs> they, they have to, now they have to know how to turn the sound system on and lead a band rehearsal and song arrangements. And, you know, they didn't teach me this in seminary. And so, yeah. <laughs> so I use that to kind of like share that with, with other people and in, in, in that practical side of leading worship. Sure. Yeah. I, so I was just looking on your YouTube channel. You got almost 18,000 subscribers, which is pretty awesome. Do you get a lot of uh, international people watching that or is it mostly U.S. or is there it, no right way Right now knowing? it's mostly U.S., but there is quite a few people. Obviously, Canada's in there. The U.K.'s in there. The Philippines. Um, okay. I, I wouldn't expect that, but there's actually a, a decent amount from the Philippines that will watch uh, and engage with the content, which is kind of cool. Because now it's like, now you're having fingerprints, not only you know here in the US, but it's like, it's literally around the world. Yeah. Because I think the there's something about what you're doing, like you're doing everything that really applies to so many churches around the world. I mean, a lot of times uh, at the Philo Conference, there's a little bit of a disconnect internationally because... You know, there isn't a huge team that's pulling off production. It's the people who are on stage are also aiming the lights and making things work. So, yeah, just curious. Uh, yeah, I've always thought, you know, for me, like, I philo. I, I am the first in <laughs> yeah. and I am the last out. And, you know, and we have, uh, I'm fortunate that there's a, a media pastor on staff that, that helps with, you know, leading, you know, and setting up some of the things for tech um, and does a lot of the graphic design work and, and also fixes printers and all the other things. Like basically we joke, if it plugs into a wall, you're in charge of it. That's what the, the, the church sure. tech guy does. <laughs> uh, but we work really closely together. It's not like, hey, you need to focus the lights and I'll just be up here with my guitar. Like we right. we work super closely together when it comes to um, you know, a set design or, you know, we've spent a lot of time in 2020 we uh, upgraded to Vista for our lighting. We we put in a live streaming rig because we all got catapulted into doing live streaming. <laughs> yeah. We weren't doing live streaming before. And yeah, all of yeah. a sudden now we have to set this up and do it in so in a way that makes sense for a volunteer to be able to run it and make it still look good and sound good right, and right. all those different things. Yeah, so that, that sort of leads to uh, kind of the topic I would love to touch on. So because you have all this YouTube experience from your own channel. Now suddenly in 2020, you're catapulted into this, like everybody's streaming. 
uh, I would just love to know, like, what was that transition like for you? What was the, what are some of the things that sort of tripped you up? Because I think when we talk about streaming, we've, there are so many different platforms to stream to. There's copyright issues, there's technology issues. So I would just love to kind of, yeah, have us dive into all of it. Yeah. So because of YouTube and you're starting in 2012, you were already kind of, you didn't know you were preparing for this year, but. Right. Maybe it turns out you were. <laughs> that, well, that was the thing is that, you know, just like many of us, like I remember, I remember the rehearsal in March where, um, cause I'm here in Oklahoma city and one of the big, like the big turning points was when there was a game, there was an NBA Thunder game uh, on a Wednesday night. And right before uh, they started, the, uh, one of the players tested uh, positive for COVID and they sent everyone home, literally tens of thousands of people in an arena. And they said, um, go home. Yeah. And I remember being in rehearsal and the, and the drummer was like, hey, um, they just they just canceled the Thunder game and told everyone to go home because of COVID. And then it was like not days later that, you know, we, we're all having these conversations of like, we can't meet together. Like, how are we gonna do church, but we can't meet in a building? And right. so we're all, I mean, you know, we did it, but we, I, I think all of us listening to this, we that's what we did. It's like, how, we're throwing the playbook out the window. How do we do this? And so here I am, I'm a worship pastor, and I, I have the skill set in terms of like, what does it take to lead worship and all the details that need to come together to, to make a service. But then I'm also a YouTuber and I know about how to make a YouTube video and, and not just, you know, hey, make a video, but like how, you know, the pacing of a YouTube video is different than anything you create for like television or for a movie. It's a different experience. You know, everything, you know, there has to be a hook. Even how you do the thumbnail is super important because if people don't tap on it, if there's no engaging reason to like tap on the thumbnail, I don't care how good your content is, no one's gonna watch it. And so there's a lot lot of art that goes into how your thumbnail is, how your title is. And so I, those two worlds collided back in March of 2020 because, uh, you know, I was like, okay, I'm a YouTuber, and, but I'm also a worship pastor. And so we, and we didn't have any kind of live streaming. We didn't have any way that we were doing that. We had a camera in the back of the room that we would do this wide shot and we would capture the, the, the sermon so we could just archive it. But yeah. that, was, that was it. And so how do we make an engaging service? And what I didn't want to do was just like throw a bunch of cameras and let's just pretend like, uh, and like, you know, there's people in the room and just keep doing what we're doing. Jimmy Fallon tried that with the Tonight Show where they're like, hey, we can't bring a live audience in here, but we're gonna continue to do what we do. And those shows were awkward to watch. Yeah, it right. Re- <laughs> it was really weird. And so then Jimmy pivoted and said, well, I'm here at my house. My wife has my phone and she's videoing this and here's my kids. And all of a sudden, like th- that, if, if Jimmy from 2020 would have went back to, you know, and tell him from, you know, five years ago, hey, you're going to one day record the show from your house and your kids are going to be crawling all, all over you while you're doing interviews. <laughs> He'd say, you're crazy. But it yeah. worked. Like we had to reinvent everything. So same thing with church, like, you know, how we had the worship band and instead of having them forward facing, we put them in a circle instead of the the pastor on a stage pacing back and forth and speaking loudly. He was in his, he was in his, I don't mean that as a knock. I mean, it's just like, yeah. that's when you're in a large auditorium, you're like, you know, you're 
trying to project your voice. Yeah, but, yeah. But you know, but that didn't work, and so um, that wasn't going to translate well. And so we 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 did it where um, our pastor was in his living room because oh by the way he came back from Israel and he was quarantined for fourteen days and couldn't get out of the house anyway if he wanted right. to. And so there he is in his living room, and and it's a it's a wide shot, and he's more or I mean sort of more of a closer up shot, right. and he's teaching more than he's preaching, and it's kind of intimate like because it's in his living room and. It, yeah. You feel like you're just kind of hanging out with them. And so we had to like, we just kind of, we leaned it into that. And I said, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna treat this like a YouTube video. And I'm gonna yeah. do all the little tricks that you would normally do in a YouTube video. Even there was like a moment where we did a couple things that were like kids sermons-ish. Uh-huh. And and we and I and I just leaned into like all like the 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 crazy editing that like kids YouTube videos have as far as like you know zooming in and the weird jump cuts like we leaned into all of that and yeah. and the end result was I think a really engaging service. Yeah. Um, you know, did you notice? Did your service time length change? Yes, we went shorter. It was under an hour. Okay. Because again, like the way you engage online is is different. And so instead of like doing a song and a, and a welcome, all that, all that, we just, we did a welcome on the front and um, we didn't do any kind of announcements or anything. It was just kind of to set the tone. Mm-hmm. And then um, we would do three worship songs. And then even the preaching was like more, you know, maybe 20 or 30 minutes versus 30 or 40 minutes. And yeah, it was less than that because how you engage in your living room is just completely different yeah. than how you engage in the room. In the room, you kind of have this captive audience. It's right. like when you go to a movie, you you go into a theater, and even if it's like slow, and you're like, "Man, this movie's just not that good." It takes a lot for you to get up out of your seat and walk out of a theater. It has right, to be right. really bad. Yeah, but then, yeah. But think about how you watch a YouTube video, and if like you know, if there's a lull, you're tapped onto the next thing. Like it's right, like right. you know, you you, you just. This just, it's on your phone, you're holding it in your hand and you're like, eh, and there's like some other notification. Like there's, you know, the sidebar has 10, 10 other videos that you could watch. You're like, well, that seems right. interesting. This is kind of boring. And so <laughs> I tried to view it that way. Now, now that we're back in the room, you know, we're kind of leaned back more into a more traditional approach as far as like, hey, we're going to kind of cater to who's in the room. But we'll uh-huh. still look at the camera. And like, if you're watching online, we're glad that you're here and you look directly at the camera and all that kind of stuff. But right, it's, all, right. it's all this stuff of like, hey, I was a worship pastor, but I'm also a YouTuber. And those worlds just came crashing together yeah. uh, back in March. There's so many things that are different about being in person versus being online. You know, the how how people are engaging with the content, how you're engaging with the people who are watching, what it sounds like. Being in the room covers a multitude of sins, yes. you know, versus uh, the, the you can hang yourself out to dry pretty quickly online uh, from a in on pitch and all oh, these, yeah. you know, on every time little and, imperfection <laughs> is just with a big huge spotlight. Like, hey, you missed that just a little bit, but yes, yeah, so the natural just acoustics of the room and the reverb hides all kinds of imperfections. It's interesting now that just as we're talking about it, streaming your service like. The internet is not lying to you. Like, no. You're not singing on pitch. You are behind the beat. People are checking out at 25 minutes. You know, it's just like all these things that maybe are be- beneath the surface that we don't, nobody's talking about or whatever when we were live and in person. But I just think uh, the brutal truth of the, you know, having our services online 
It's probably been a good wake-up call for some people. Well, like the analytics that YouTube provides is astounding. There's all kinds of things. And so you can see audience retention and you can actually watch the video back and you can see this graph of how many people are watching at that moment. And yeah, if the sermon goes too long, you can see it. Like the numbers don't lie. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Uh, So like one of the things about being online, streaming our services that uh, we maybe haven't had to deal with in quite the same way because, again, because of the internet is making us have to make a decision. So one of those is copyright. So a lot of times if YouTube hears a song, they'll shut it down or Facebook or whatever. Whereas before, you know, uh, we're doing a song in church and we're taking care of the CCLI stuff and, or we have permission to play a song, but nobody's there to like pull the plug on it uh, quite like they are on the internet. What is something that you learned just in the process of transitioning to online uh, this idea of how copyright's functioning in the streaming world. Yeah, I think copyright right now is like specifically with like Facebook and YouTube, it frustrates a lot of people. And I think the reason it does that is because they don't, people don't understand it. Again, we all got catapulted into this world of streaming. And so they're like, I'm the worship pastor. I play guitar and I sing. Why am I picking out cameras? Why am I learning how to run OBS? Like I didn't sign up for this, but you know, <laughs> but, but you have to figure it out anyway. And so right. one of those things is, is copyright. And I see a lot of people that get super frustrated about it because there's just not a lot of understanding of what's going on. And I've seen things like, you know, if, you know, YouTube will, if anything is copyrighted, it's going to pull it down. I've seen people go as far as to say, well, they're against the church and they don't like what the church is doing. So they're trying to like, you know, push against it. And I'm like, mm, no, the thing is, is like, so, you know, when it comes to intellectual property, you know, whoever owns that intellectual property, they have, they have like, it's like five or six different specific rights as far as like being able to, to change it, to distribute it, to perform it and all that. And so there's laws that are, that are in place already that mm-hmm. really if you wanted to get away with it, you could. Like, there's no, there's no guy from the copyright law office in your church right. to let you know that you can't, you can't sync up that audio adrenaline song with the the church you thing. You need a sync license to do that or whatever. Right, but, right. But, and so we were probably doing some things in churches that we, you know, we weren't supposed to be doing. Right. Um, and, and it even goes back to copyright law. It goes back to like 1976. A lot of our laws are from there. That's before live streaming and the internet. That's before <laughs> Napster and Is that before Color sharing. TV. Yeah, well, even <laughs> yeah. like and you know, and the boombox that you had that had the dual cassette deck, and you could borrow the right. the DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince tape from your buddy, and you could dub it, and now you had a copy of it. Like, you know, and we had to decide you know, along the way, like, is this okay? And what are we going to do about it? And, you know, is file sharing, you know, considered sharing or is it stealing? Like we had to figure all these things out. And, um, and so, you know, YouTube comes along and, uh, especially in the infancy days, um, like, uh, you know, right around the time that like, they didn't always start as a Google company, Google acquired them. Uh But, um, 
you know, people would upload these videos where they're in their living room playing acoustic guitar and, uh, and, and they would perform these copyrighted songs where in, in, in other worlds, you would need a mechanical license to cover the song and maybe a sync license to put video to it. You would have to like contact the publisher to do that. Sure, well, now but... I'm just gonna upload it and put it on, on the internet and people can watch it. Or people would take audio or like a song and they would sync that up and play that with, you know, they have like vacation photos and they would make a slideshow and upload that to YouTube and, right. and, and, and go from there. And the music industry, not necessarily the artists, though there are some artists, but it, it, the industry as a whole kind of said, hey, um, this is a problem. You, mm -hmm. you, you people are using our intellectual property and they're not getting permission and we're not getting paid for that. And so we need to figure this out. And so YouTube actually created this great system that I'm thankful for because uh, they, you know, they could have just said, hey, look, you can't, you can't do this. And anytime we find anything copyrighted, we're just going to shut it down, take it down. And there's a lot of great content out there. Like uh, as far as like a lot of great artists have been discovered because they did cover videos like Shinatonics sure, right. and Lindsey Sterling and Charlie oh, The lead Puth. singer for uh, Journey. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people that <laughs> yeah. that have uh, they got discovered because of this, or you know, yeah. like reaction videos, like th those are that's a great form of content. Um, and so, you know, it, it, to just say, okay, we're going to shut all that stuff down, so you can't do that anymore, kind of like what they did with Napster and, and LimeWire and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying I'm not advocating that that was a good thing, but like we needed to figure this out. Like, how are we going to how are we going to do this? Yeah. And so they came up with a system and they said, okay, we're going to make a database and we're going to, anytime, you know, someone uploads content to YouTube, we're going to check it against this database and we're going to see if it makes a match. Now, most people know that. The next piece is there's a column next to that in the database that says, okay, when we find this artist, owner of intellectual property, what do you want us to do with it? Right. And so... They can just see analytics. Hey, I just want to see how this is doing because maybe it's really huge in the Philippines and I didn't know I had uh, a, an audience there. I might actually need to think about distributing some music there. That's good information to know. That's one thing they can do. They can also mm -hmm. say, you can use it, that's fine, but we want ad revenue. We want to be able to like take some or all the ad revenue to be able to do that. Or we don't want you using it at all. We want to block it. And so we as creators, you know, is putting content on YouTube instead of having to like mess with all these different licenses and that headache. And anyone who's ever put together like a, a CD album of cover songs knows that it's not easy to get all the licensing and figure out who to contact because there's not an 800 number you can call. It's like, right. you, you, it's like <laughs> you know, and like death was arrested, you know, it has like six songwriters that you all have to contact. I've done this. And you have to like figure out who gets what and this person gets 10% and this person gets 75% and this person gets 3%. You're like, what? Yeah. And so YouTube has actually made it super easy to upload that and they check it against the system. And, and, and what they're doing is they, they've already had these pre-arranged conversations with people that say, when I find your content, what do you want us to do with it? And so- right. I think a lot of people will, they just think that people, they're just taking it down because it's copyrighted, they're taking it down. It's like, no, they they have made these, uh, they already had the conversations about what they want to do. And, um, you know, when it comes to performing a song, that's another thing too, is that there's two there's two distinct kinds of copyright that YouTube, and Facebook too, but I, I talk mainly about YouTube. There's two distinct kinds of copyright that they're interested in. One is the essence of the song, like the lyrics and the chords and the melody, you know? Right. And so when you perform a cover, which 
you know, as far as YouTube is concerned, that's what our worship bands are doing. They're performing right. covers of these songs. That has a certain, like, hey, what do you want us to do when someone covers the song? And that's one column in the database. And they can have, they can pick one of three of those, of those options. If you use the actual recording of the song, then that is, you know, the, the, the actual like physical recording of Hillsong right, or right. Bethel or Corey Asbury doing the song, and you include that, that's different. And generally speaking, if you perform the song, you're probably gonna be, you're gonna be fine, especially when it comes to worship music. Like, these songs were designed and written so right. that people With would use mind, them. Yeah. Right. right. But if you wanna play like the recording, there's a chance that you might, you might get it taken down or you might not. It really, it comes down to the, to the owner of the copyright, which it's their intellectual property. I mean, it's, it's their decision to do that. I kind of fall in this camp of like, there's the spirit of the law and the letter of the law because the letter of the law says that if I walk down downtown Chicago and I whistle a copyrighted song, I'm in violation of copyright law. Well, that's ridiculous. Um, and I think that new art is always kind of spawned from previous art. And so right. if you lock it down so tightly, then no one can create anything. But at the same time too, you know, as a, as a creator of content myself, I kind of want to have a say in how that gets, that gets done. And so, yeah. so let's say I'm a church, I'm doing streaming and maybe every second or third week, my stream is getting shut down because of the, you know, this, how this database is tracking with what we're doing. How do I head that off at the pass? Like, how do I know that what I'm about to do is going to stay online? That's a great question. I get that question a ton. And I would say if you're performing songs, I would be very surprised if you perform a song and it gets taken down. Usually uh -huh. the culprit is pre-music. You know, yeah, the walk-in music. The yeah. walk-in music. And so like for us, we do the same thing too. You know, our pre-music is all pre-recorded stuff and would most likely get flagged if it found its way into a stream. We then go to a countdown video that starts the service. And that is, the music on that is from uh, a, like a, a royalty-free music website, like uh, Epidemic, Epidemic Sound or Soundstripe or something like that. And, and, that, and because it's royalty-free, it still has a copyright. Someone still owns it. But the, the terms of usage is, hey, when you download this, you can pretty much, you don't have to worry about the size of the audience or any of that kind of right, stuff. You can, right. just, you can just kind of use it. And it's not going to, it's, you know, we want you to use this in your videos. And so it's not going to trigger. And so right. looking for the stuff like that, I would look at if you're running tracks, because honestly, you know, these tracks that we're buying from like multi-tracks and loop community and these kind of organizations, they're essentially master recordings. Um, and before COVID, we actually did not have permission to stream them. Now I know churches did, but right. you didn't, that license, when you, when you paid the money, that didn't cover you actually streaming. It was only using it in the room. Now, when we all got shut down back in March, uh, multitracks.com went to all the, the owners of the music and said, hey, can we, the world's in a really weird spot right now. Can we <laughs> just have like a, a gratis license that says, hey, look, if you have the track, you can stream it. And we'll, and when, when the world kind of settles down, maybe we'll figure out a more elegant way to do this. And maybe there's an extra license. I don't know. But for now, can we just love the world right. and can we use this? And that's what they <laughs> did, uh, which was wonderful. But if you're, if you're running tracks, I would say how much of the tracks are you using? If it's, if you've got a live band and the whole rhythm section is, is live and you're just maybe using, the pads and the percussion and maybe, you know, a choir track, you're probably 
I don't think you're gonna get taken down. But um, if you're using, if it's just you and your wife and you're playing acoustic and she's playing keys, but you got drums and bass and guitar and like 80% of the audio is is that audio, right. then you probably are gonna be gonna be taken down for that. And so I would look for those kinds of things. And if you're, and, and you might have to reinvent the wheel a little bit. Like if you're used to running these tracks, and 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 it's it's preventing your stream from being taken down. Then maybe you need to uh, use less of the tracks and maybe kind of bring it down a little bit. Or Multitracks actually has a service. They have a, like a whole library of songs called the Living Room Sessions, and they're not the master recordings. It's actually stuff that they 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 have recorded themselves with their own musicians. And so the master recording of it is like we intend this for you to use this. The song still belongs to the original songwriters and Hillsong and Bethel and all that, but they've recre- they've created these these songs that are designed for small bands. Like instead of a drum track, it's like a real cool drum loop um, and it's got a pad underneath it. It, like, it fits more what you're trying to do with a small band, still kind of fill it out, but it doesn't sound like this big arena sounding band and they make those available. And because of the nature of what they are, they're not gonna get triggered as a master recording, or they, I mean, they're not gonna get placed against the, the Bethel version or the Hillsong version. And so right. there's there's things that are out there. Even like, I know some churches that are like, hey, we're so small that we, uh, we don't even have a band. We just play lyric videos off of YouTube in our services. Well, how do we do that online? And I saw someone had the idea. It's like, well, instead of making one big video file that you would watch, because you 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 know you're, if you take that video, most likely you're gonna get you're gonna get hit with a copyright and the the stream's right, gonna right. go down. Make a web page. Make a web page that is like start to finish. It's the it's the liturgy of your service, and so you have a welcome. Maybe it could be a welcome video of your pastor or whatever, and then embed the second video you embed is one of these lyric videos that is like embed from the the original location, uh, right, and right. then you put your your you put your songs in there and just. What you're doing is the people work their way down from the page. They just play the videos in order, and and in the when it comes to the copyrighted material, you are using the original. You're not reproducing that. You're just linking it, and you know it's not as great as having like something you can just press play and watch on a TV. But it's better than nothing that that's what you got. Right, right. That's actually a really good idea. If you think if you're a church that's at a spot in your existence where. Uh, lyric video is how you do worship. That feels like a really great answer because you you're probably not super savvy technically. You're not you don't have a ton of people involved, and so yeah, that feels like a great a great answer. Yeah, and it's and it still can be it, you can have a meaningful service that people can can walk through and just use the the, the benefit of of the internet. Something else you can do uh, as far as like I've had people ask me, hey, we're thinking about we want to do this 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 cover song and it's, it's kind of a parody of such and such. We're using these tracks that we bought and we want to make sure that it doesn't trigger, like how do we know? YouTube used to have a database where uh, you could like go in the back end, like the back end where you'd upload a video, you could go search, you could type in a song or a band and it would tell you what those predetermined arrangements were. Hey, if you okay. do this ACDC song, it's going to, we're gonna do this to it. Like this is what you can count on happening. Sure. And so when they created their new creator studio, like they basically rebuilt their back end from the ground up a couple of years ago, they didn't include that little database because they said that not a lot of people were using it and it was a ton of work to move over. And so what the official answer from YouTube is, if you wanna know how it's gonna do, 
upload the video early and let it run through. Like when, when you upload a video and it says it's processing, one of the things that it's checking is that database. And so you sure. know pretty quickly if it's gonna happen. And so if you can upload the video early, don't make it public. You can schedule it, you can make it unlisted. Make it private, yeah. Right. Uh, but it will run it through its paces to, and it'll tell you, like if you have a problem, like, hey, when we block this video, well, now you know. Now, if you're in a position where you're like, well, I don't wanna go through all the production of making this video just for someone to tell me that I can't do it. Maybe it's not as easy as just switching out a song. Like maybe the whole video is based on that song. Right. What I tell people is, well, make a, like a pre-production version of it and um, go ahead and have the band perform the song the way they're going to do it. If it's, they're gonna use tracks, use the tracks. If you're gonna have live drums, do live drums, but do it in a way, and it doesn't even have to sound amazing. Like this is nothing that you would actually, it would be forward facing where you would, people would see this. This is just to put it on the, on the internet. The, the, the video right. of it can be like a wide shot or color bars or something, but what it does is it puts it out there where it will run it through its system, and you can tell if um, if it's you know if it's going to flag it or not, and you can do that like way in the early pre-production days uh, of your creative process and put it up there, and then you know what it's going to do when it's what it's not. Is it going to be a copyright claim? Is it going to block it? You know how is that going to work? Another thought I had as you were talking was the just you you could almost record your rehearsal, like you were telling yes. me earlier that you rehearse on Wednesday nights, so. Yeah, just record that, upload it to YouTube, see what happens. Um, if there are problems, you'll find out Wednesday night. Exactly, uh, Thursday you'll know morning. within minutes. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Anything else you can think of uh, from a copyright standpoint or things to avoid? I mean, I, I, let me, I guess I thought of one thing. Are you pre-recording everything and uploading it and premiering it on YouTube or are you doing everything live uh, for your church's web stream? We've done it all. So here in Oklahoma, we've actually been meeting in person oh, since go. May is when they started kind of opening that up. But when we were on lockdown, yeah, we pre-recorded everything. It was all pre-produced. We did it on iPhones. Like we literally, I, I commandeered all, all, all my iPhones for my teenagers because I pay for them. And yeah. we just had them scattered <laughs> all over the, the, the auditorium. And because the camera on an iPhone is amazing, we got some really good shots, dropped that into Final Cut and just did our multicam edit. And, and that's how we did that. And so, yeah, we would upload that video um, and, you know, with, you know, before Sunday. Now, in our situation, you know, since we've been live streaming now, we go live, but we've just, you know, when it comes to performing a song, I'm, I would be shocked if, if anything would trigger that. Because if you think about the olden days, the olden days, um, yeah, back I'm gonna in say, my day, what year is this? Yeah, <laughs> get off my lawn. Um, back in, in 2018, my day, you know, give me that eight track cassette, you know, <laughs> super tramp, let's do this. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, back, you know, back then, like if you wanted to do something, you would get a mechanical license, and you know, and the, if you like wanted to cover a song on on your on your let's let's stay with the theme on your eight track cassette, if you did that, like it says that they ask permission. Well, no one, like if you get a mechanical license to perform a song on a recording, like no one says no. 
Like you just, you contact Harry Fox or whoever it is and you get the license and you pay the seven cents or nine cents or whatever it is and and and, and you do it. And so it's the same thing like with performing on, on YouTube, there's a sync part of it. Like whenever you sync video to audio, there's an, an additional license that's required because you can potentially change the meaning of something by sure. adding video to it. Uh, in our church services, it's just the video of the band performing it. But think about like you can change the meaning of something like if you had a sure. Toby Mac song that was about, I'm, I'm just gonna make this up. Like let's say a Toby Mac song where, uh, you know, he's talking about like living life to the fullest and you're getting the most out of it. We know what Toby means about that because we know about his walk with God and all that. Sure. But if someone else took that and put a bunch of images of people at the bar and partying and doing drugs and 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 women who need more clothing and that kind of thing, Toby yeah. would probably have a problem with that because you've changed yeah. the meaning of the song. <laughs> So, right. but you know, performing a song back in the day, you would just get a mechanical license and they, you just talk to the publisher, request it. There's no permission. Now, if you wanted to include audio of something in any work that you were working on, well, like in a movie or something like that, um, you know, you have to get permission and they might say no, or they might say, yeah, it's a million dollars. Yeah. Know, there's not <laughs> a set price on that kind of stuff. And so, but if you're performing songs in your in your church services, you're probably pretty good. Watch out for tracks um, that could be that might set things off uh, depending yeah. on the mix of that. Now, if if I have more questions about copyright or a particular song, and I'm trying to figure out what is what's my obligation here, or how much would this cost? Like, do you have uh, websites or people you talk to or organizations that you recommend? So here's being the in touch problem. With? Okay. No, like um, <laughs> I, so I, I, on my YouTube channel, it's not all the things I talk about, but I do, I do make videos on occasion about copyright and what does CCLI, CCLI cover? Do you need Christian copyright solutions? That's another one. You know, is that the right. same thing as CCLI? It's not, it's different. Do you need that? You know, what can you do? What can you not do? Like, and so I've got a few videos there. There is a company called easysonglicensing.com that is uh, like, if you've got questions on what you can do, or if you're trying to clear something like, hey, we want to do, we see Life Church doing at the movies. We want to clear that um, in this song. Can we do that? Uh, Aaron uh, Green and his staff over there, they got an 800 number. Like you can literally get someone on the phone and ask questions for free on like what you can and can't do. And so Amazing. I throw that out there. Um, sure. I've, I've done that a time or two. And if, if they, ha if you have a weird ask, like as far as like, hey, I want to do a derivative. I want to be able to like Christmas Hallelujah. That's a great example. Um, there's, there's Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. And many right. years ago, there was a band called Cloverton that did a, a derivative, not a parody, but a derivative called Christmas Hallelujah. And initially, the, the Cohen estate gave them permission and said, you can do that. But then when it got so big, uh, they shut them down, which is why, like, uh, like it was on Caleb, like, every five seconds. And oh, then wow. all of a sudden just disappeared like it never existed like in and, and um and you can't really find it on youtube because as quickly as someone uploads it they take it down if you want to do something like that one if it's leonard cohen they're probably going to tell you no but like if you wanted to do something like that you know if you call easysonglicensing.com they have all the relationships with all these people they they're you know for a really you know a reasonable fee they'll contact them on your behalf and see if it's if you can do it or not
you know, sure. as far as like reaching out. But no, there's not. And I think that's why that's like it comes full circle to this conversation because that's the problem is we get these, the, you know, I, I throw something up on YouTube. I get a copyright claim. I don't know what that means. There's language and verbiage in here that this seems kind of scary. Did I do something wrong? Right. I've been, been able to do this before, which a copyright claim just means, hey, we found something. It belongs to Corey Asbury. Corey Asbury says that you can do this with it, and we're just letting you know. A copyright strike is, hey, you're abusing the system, and if you keep doing it, we're going to actually take your channel down. And so a copyright claim, I get copyright claims all the time on stuff if I use someone else's work. And it's just like, hey, we found it, and we're going to let you do it. We're going to run ads against it. Even if your channel isn't monetized, we're going to run ads against it, and we're going to take that revenue, which means you don't have to. You don't have to pay for it, but, uh, but we are going to run ads. And, uh-huh. but, but go ahead and, and use it, and we're glad that it inspires you to make the new art that you're making. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose they have to pay for it somehow, so yeah. Well, and that's the way. That's the thing. It's like, you know, we go back to intellectual property. It's like people that have written songs and done that, like they don't come out of thin air. Like it's it's a process. And, you know, and right. there are people that that's their livelihood. They make things. And I think sometimes in church, we have a bad habit of saying, well, it's for the glory of God. And so I'm going to take this ACDC song and I'm going to redeem it and change the lyrics and we're going to perform it. And ACDC doesn't like that. Like they specifically... <laughs> They don't like their stuff on YouTube. They don't want you to use it. Yeah. And so at the at the end of the day, it's 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 their stuff and they get a voice yeah. in how that gets used. And I think uh I'm just going back now to my uh younger days working at a church. We did a lot of things that I probably would not do again from a copyright standpoint, but we spent a lot of time talking about fair use. Oh, it's fair use. We're you know, just using We're not making it. any money on this, so right, it's yeah, okay, not, right? Yeah, which is not really, I well, mean, here, especially for a church. Here's uh, the thing about fair use is fair use is a defense. So it's not like it gives you permission to do it. It's like when you get sued you and you find yourself in court, that will be your defense. And yeah. then it's it's up to, you know, and the, the laws for fair use are super uh, vague. Uh, and a lot of people will say, well, you know, Weird Al, you know, he does all these parodies and he's like, yeah, he asks permission. Like he's got a team of people that do that. Like there's, there's even like a parody is, it's a small niche. And yeah. I think sometimes we abuse that. We take a song in church and we change the lyrics and we think, oh, it's a parody. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Well, and I think too, just when you think about the world that the church exists in, and we're trying to pull a fast one over on people or trying to take advantage of somebody else's work and not pay for it. I mean, that just like, that stinks. <laughs> well, and I had, um, I had someone reach out to me, well, well-meaning person that was like, hey, we want to put together, we had this idea for like a Hamilton Easter service. And so we want to take songs from the musical Hamilton and, and like rewrite the lyrics and kind of tell the Easter story. Can I do that? I'm like, well... You, like, if you did one song and it was kind of comedic, you could probably, like, if you had to stand before a judge, you could probably say that's a parody and fair use. Four is probably pushing it. And what you're doing is you're, the reason you're choosing Hamilton over any other musical is because it's a very popular musical. Everyone knows it. And so you're, you're kind of building your art on the popularity and the success of theirs. And so, and they're, they've worked really hard to have that popularity and that success and that notoriety. 
And so you just gotta be, yeah, you gotta be careful. And then, and then, and then when you add the component of, oh, what we could do in the room, you know, is a certain kind of like criteria. Well, now we're putting it on the internet. And yeah. so it goes, yeah, there's just a lot of different things to consider that I'm thankful for like CCLI and for content ID and all these things that take out so much of the red tape as far yeah. as like doing it. Because if we didn't have that, uh, like think about like with CCLI, like if we literally had to go get the mechanical license for all these songs every week, that would be a train wreck. And, right. and so I'm thankful for these companies that came together and said, okay, we'll be the middleman. You just pay this flat fee. We'll make sure everyone gets taken care of. The the songwriters are happy. The churches are happy. Like everyone's happy. Uh, I'm, <laughs> it's, it's it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. CCLI definitely changed the game. Uh, and then even the integration with the planning center. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It took so much of the headache and the work out of it. Yeah, yeah it's so could, easy now because you don't have to like you know there used to be a day back in my day. Back in my day when I was doing worship songs on on whatever, Keith Green and whatnot. I mean, you would have to like. <laughs> Good, excellent choice. Of, I wonder if Keith Green yeah, had, actually had an eight track collection. I'm curious. Maybe, I mean, he must have. You know, and he had that thing where you could pay whatever you want. Like, hey, for my records, you know, for my eight track cassette, you could pay whatever you want. Anyway, that's off the yeah. rails. <laughs> but no, if you... Um, you had to like, you know, write write down your songs. You had to like say, okay, I did this song so many times, and and even like, hey, the fact that we can upload an MP3 to to Planning Center so that the band has a version to 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 listen to, like, you're technically that's file sharing. But they've found right. a way to take care of all of that mess, and sure. And now with the Planning Center integration, you don't have to report anything because you kind of automatically do it. It just looks at Planning Center and it says, "Okay, you did this so many times, and so many people downloaded it. Okay, we got our numbers. We'll take care of it. You pay. You keep paying your, your flat fee, and we'll make sure that the the intellectual property owners get their share of it." Right. Right. Yeah. So good. So uh, one of the things I would love to do before we're done here is maybe talk about what uh, like ways people can get to your YouTube channel, learn some more about copyright, because you said you had a couple videos there. Uh, so what's the best way for people to like get at that content? Well, I do everything under the, the name of practical worship. And that just stems from uh, I, I just, I saw this turn in, uh, you know, the late nineties and 2000, when we started like introducing drums and guitars and all this into worship music. And, you know, I remember used to playing in the orchestra and you got a piece of music that told you exactly what to play. And, and now all of a sudden it's like, now I've got drums and how do I do this? And these songs that drive by the drums, I saw this real need of, okay, you know, a lot of worship pastors aren't really equipped for this and how do we figure this out? And so like the practical side of leading worship is like, okay, I get the spiritual component and what we're doing, but how do I set up my soundboard? And, and why does it sound horrible? And so if you search YouTube, you know, practical worship or go to youtube.com slash practical worship, um, uh -huh. you can get to uh, all that. I have a podcast that I do as well. So if you search wherever there's podcasts, you know, after this one's over and you've listened to all the Philo episodes, right. when you're looking yeah, for something new, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you search for practical worship on, on whatever app you're using right now, I kind of do more in-depth stuff with people. I've had Todd on the podcast. Yeah, I've had a couple times. Uh, Delwin on the podcast, uh, who's also part of the Philo community. Yeah. And so, um, if you, if you search for practical worship, you'll, you'll find me. And, yeah. and, and, okay. and, and there are some videos in there. Uh, honestly, if you go to YouTube and you just type in church copyright, it's my videos that pop up because not a lot of people 
make content about that because it's this weird <laughs> thing that, well, for one, I, I nerd out on it and I nerd out on it more than I probably should. Where it's like, you know, hey, you, you talk to the guy in Pro Presenter and you're like, hey, you can't change, change that word because that's a derivative. And it's like, just stop. <laughs> just right. get back on the stage, Dave, <laughs> and get, put, put your guitar on and we got this. Yeah, I just typed in church copyright and there you are. What worship pastors should know about using copyrighted songs. And it has a, the thumbnail has a picture of like a gavel from a from a judge, so you know it's authentic. Right. You know, it's like that guy must know his stuff because like, yeah. that looks like a courtroom. That thumbnail is the thing that grabbed me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so good. And actually, I earlier I typed in Dave Dolphin into YouTube and got practical worship was the thing that came up. So there's yep. it's really hard to. Uh, not find your stuff. Those those Googles, man, they know how, if you need to find something, they know what they're doing. Yeah, Google. Uh, anyway, it's great to have you on the podcast. It's been great to catch up and thanks for sharing your wisdom with the Philo community. It's been it's been an honor. I, I love what, uh, what you and, and the Philo community are doing. I think it's super important that to pastor and shepherd tech people, it's unique because it's just, it's a part of the church. It's just tech people kind of find their place in church and like, I, I need to find my people. I need my people. Yeah. And yeah. Philo is a chance for for people in the production ministry to go, I found my people, these people get me. And that's important. I think we need to shepherd all types of people, not just the people wearing skinny jeans and scarves. I mean, we gotta, we gotta shepherd all the people. <laughs> so I love, I, I love, I love the Philo community and anything I can do to help. I'm, I'm thank you so it. much. You know, I just, I'm, I was writing an article uh, last week and I used the skinny jeans and scarves. That's how I described the you know, our counterpart. I wear group. neither, by the way. I'm 46 years old. No one wants me wearing skinny jeans. Right, but you could pull a scarf off, you know, just the right kind. Maybe, maybe. My yeah. wife, my, every now and then I do things and my wife just looks at me and she's like, no, <laughs> no. She's, she's, she is the, the anchor. If I have a crazy idea, I think we all have wives that are like that. She's yeah. like, you're not leaving the house like that. <laughs> um, apparently not. Apparently yeah. I'm not. I'll go change. I was yeah. just kidding. It's important to have people like that in your life because otherwise, uh, exactly. yeah, make some poor choice. Although I have to say, when my kids try to stop me, uh, they usually just go- keep walking out the door because I like the h- how it embarrasses them. Like, oh, like, watch dad. This yeah. is going to be good. Like, get, the, <laughs> yeah. get, the, get the camera. We're going to put this on YouTube. Yeah, right. I usually am saying, if I'm doing something, I'm like, you're missing out a, an opportunity on uh, Snapchat or whatever it is you guys are on. This is gold, what I'm doing on right now. On the TikTokers. Now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, uh, we'll call that good on the TikTokers uh, standpoint. So thanks again for, for joining. Man, glad to be here. Thank you so much. I love the range of the conversation Dave and I had, and all that YouTube stuff was really new for me, so I was fascinated by all of it. One of the biggest takeaways for me was thinking of our services online like a YouTuber would, versus just putting our services online. We can see the analytics that say when people are most engaged and least engaged, and we have a chance to tweak and adjust for next week. We're not necessarily in the business of getting as many subscribers as possible, but the goal is to create something that our people can engage with and maybe even invite their friends to watch. So I love that whole idea of thinking like a YouTuber. I also love the idea of posting a recording of your rehearsal to see if YouTube was happy with it before you went through all the trouble of premiering your services and then having them taken down during the service because of copyright reasons. Also, going back to my rant about Viktor Frankl and his book, A Man's Search for Meaning, 
If you go to Dave's YouTube channel, search Practical Worship on YouTube, you'll see that Dave has been going through a fight with cancer. And I have to say that he's been living out Viktor Frankl's ideas for all of us to see. This is a quote from the book. The one thing you can't take away from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me or what life does to me. The last of one's freedom is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. And I think Dave is such an example of this idea, Uh, not just on how to live our lives during a crisis, but just even living everyday life as a technical artist in the local church. So Dave, thank you. As we wrap up this podcast, don't forget to sign up for the next Philo Conference happening May 11th and 12th. We've got some top-notch faculty coming this year to help us all become more effective at what we do as technicians, as artists, and as people. So I can't wait. You can go to philo.org to sign up there. Uh, If you want to follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, we're at Philo Community. And on Twitter, it's at Philo Conference. You can always see what's happening on our website, philo.org. Or if you have questions or suggestions for the podcast, send us an email at philopodcast at philo.org. All right, until next time.